I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The unofficial Bengals podcast. Hey, Cincinnati Bengals fans. I would like to introduce to you the one and only Frank LaPlaca. Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, so every now and then I'll come across a page on Twitter that really intrigues me. And this next guest, I've been reading his stuff for the last six months or so. A very unique individual with a lot of unique takes. A lot of the stuff I see, I'm like, wow, I, I feel the same way. Or, wow, I wish I said this. So he's a lifetime fan of this team. He has amazing insight on this team. And he's got one of the best avatars I've ever seen. It's a picture of Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Only he has the hairdo of like a, a guerrilla warrior, you know, from from like a, a depressed country that's like a freedom fighter. Really cool logo. It got my interest right away just based on the logo. And then hearing him talk and hearing his takes on things, I was like, this guy is just a total winner, a total must follow. So with that said, I would like to welcome Colonel Sandinista, also known as Eric Weiss. Eric, how are you today? Good. Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me. I've really been enjoying your takes on Twitter. All right, so let's start first off. You have that interesting handle of Colonel Sandinista. How did that come about? I mean, honestly, I, I think I found the picture first. <laughs> I think I, I may have just found that little avatar on the internet somewhere, thought it was funny, and uh, actually used it as a, uh, a fancy football handle for a long time. And uh, that just kind of became my, my little fantasy football sports avatar. And the Twitter account started out was kind of doing fantasy football stuff and then evolved into more Bengals and Reds stuff, so I stuck with it. All right, well, with that said, how did you become a Bengals fan? Well, born and raised in Cincinnati, uh, lived there, went to high school there, went to UC. So my earliest memories were, you know, like the 88 Super Bowl team, like really vivid memories of that. Sam White actually lived about a block away from me growing up. <laughs> so we had that going on in the neighborhood. And then I, you know, I moved to New York. I lived there for a long time and kind of found a, uh, found a little pocket of, of Bengals fandom out there that we would all meet up every Sunday and watch games. That was kind of during the Carson era. And uh, now I'm out in Los Angeles, and not quite as many Bengals fans out here, but have found a few pockets. And hey, that's actually pretty interesting. I didn't. Re- I knew you were from the West Coast. I didn't realize you were initially from Cincinnati. You live near Sam White's. That's really cool. And I'm from New Jersey, so you were probably in my neck of the woods quite frequently over the last few years. So let's move on to some some Bengals topics, some questions. First off, how you feeling about the off season as far as what we've done with free agency and a second part of that question, what are you thinking as we head into the draft? Uh, I 
think it's a you know solid B right now. You know, I think on paper we're probably a little bit better than we were a year ago. If someone wants to give them an A based on Orlando Brown alone, I'd be okay with that. I mean, you're talking about arguably the top free agent that was available this year, and the Bengals got him and at a very team-friendly deal, too. There's kind of no way to look at that without it being a huge win. You know, we'll see what the fallout of that is in terms of Jonah. I know we're going to talk about him later. But, you know, I think the offensive line is better than it was a year ago. I think Jamar and T are going to be better than they were a year ago. Burrow's going to be better than he was a year ago. And then on the defensive side, you know, that's probably where there's a little bit of a fall off. Obviously, your safety room's probably a little weaker, but there's some upside there. And, you know, I think people kind of overlook the Jermaine Pratt signing, too. You know, everyone kind of just shrugged that off like, yeah, but we lost uh, we lost Von Bell. But, you know, this defense is better with Jermaine Pratt than it is without him. And so I think, again, getting him on a team-friendly deal was, was a big deal. And I think any fall off that you get on that side of the ball is probably going to be offset by the offensive bit. Yeah, well, well put. And I know you mentioned the safeties as far as like the key losses, obviously Bates and Bell. What do you, what did you feel about the other players that we didn't resign, like your P. Ryan's, your Hearsts, guys like that? Well, yeah, I think that's the other thing to keep in mind with this whole free agency period is that it kind of really went off script, and and not necessarily in a bad way. But if you look at the last few free agencies that they've had. You know, I, I think they had a plan going in, and they attacked them, and they got the players that they wanted. I mean, you're talking about DJ Reader and Trey Hendrickson and Kappa and Karras. You know, they had these plans for these guys, and they went out and got them and spent money to do it. And, you know, I think they had a plan this year, like, like Duke always does, but I think Orlando Brown kind of shook things up. You know, when that falls in your lap, you can't say no. And so I think they kind of... I don't want to say scrambled, but, you know, their plans had to change on the fly. I think they were probably a little surprised to lose Von Bell, but they obviously had a plan B with Pratt. And I think they were probably really surprised to lose Pirine. The reports are that they offered him about the same contract. But, you know, Pirine is great, but uh, he's not an irreplaceable piece of that offense. So I think going into the draft, that's going to be a big thing. But I think at the end of the day, they're better on paper now than they were a year ago. Yeah, you know, I'm going to agree with that. And, you know, some of the guys, I thought, you know, they could have brought Hurst back at that similar price tag. Von Bell wasn't that high of a price tag. P. Ryan wasn't that high. So, you know, I was a little bit in question of like, all right, you know, these guys didn't sign mega deals. You could have gotten them back. But, you know, maybe they have different plans internally. And I like the point that you made about Brown. You know, they had to pay him a lot of money and that alters other guys that they can retain or sign. I didn't even mention Hurst. You know, I, I think Hurst was a little overpaid in Carolina. I mean, 29 years old, he's really only had one decent year of production, and that was with Burrow. So I don't fault them for not matching that contract at all. You know, we'll see what Irv Smith is, but you know, he, he has a lot of potential upside and could certainly, you think, could replace Hayden Hurst's production last year. Yeah, and you know, any anybody who catches the ball that you put with Joe Burrow is going to get better just by default. So... Whatever Irv Smith was prior to this, I'm sure he's going to be better in a Cincinnati uniform, having you know pretty much the most accurate quarterback in football throwing to him. Especially if he stays healthy. I mean, that's really the, the question mark with him and why we were able to get him so cheaply. If he stayed healthy, you know, he's probably getting more of a, you know, I know Bissek and Schultz didn't get kind of the multi-year deals, but, you know, he, he would probably be in a higher tier. And you know, I think that was another part of the surprise that, that, that hit Duke this year was I think they were all in on Foster Moreau. And I think that, you know, that diagnosis and, you know, 
thoughts and prayers with him. Hopefully he's, he's okay. But I think that caught obviously him off guard and caught everybody else who was in the market for him. I think that was really their plan A at tight end. And that obviously got shaken up at the last second. Yeah, and I guess now we head towards the draft with that position in mind. What positions, if you were if you were Mr. Tobin, what positions would you attack in this draft? I, I know there's best player available theory, but regardless of that, you know, what do you think we should be chasing after? Well, you know, yeah, you can always say best player available. And, you know, I, it's, it's kind of cliche, but I think they are in a decent position to do that. But, you know, maybe outside of right tackle, they, they have starters, of, which means they're not locked in to have to take something in particular at 28 you know i'm (laughs) and this is this is what gets me in trouble on twitter all the time i mean i'm very much team Bijan if he's there at 28 i don't think he will be i think this is all going to be all going to look pretty silly when he goes in the top 10 if by some miracle he was there at 28 or even at 25 24 you know before the bills pick or someone like that I just think he would be such a phenomenal asset. Everyone talks about not wanting to have to pay running backs. You get a guy like him who's a you know, top five, might be the top talent in this draft class. If you put him in that offense and you get him on a rookie deal for four years, maybe five years, I know people are going to say, well, what about the extension? What about the extension? You don't have to extend the running back. I just think that that would be, it would add such a dynamic edge to this offense that they had him at. So that's kind of my dream scenario. Again, I don't, I don't think that's likely. You know, I'm not going to complain if you get a, a good top-tier offensive tackle. You know, we, we don't know what's going to happen with Jonah. If you get a Dewan Jones or a Kendall Wright, maybe that opens you up to be a little more flexible with your trade demands on Jonah. I, you know, I wouldn't be upset with, with a tight end, obviously. If Mayer's there or they like Dalton Kincaid or maybe even Darnell Washington. You know, I think the one position that is really popular out in, in Bengals verse that I would be a little bit uneasy with is cornerback. You know, I know you can never have too many cornerbacks, but if you draft a cornerback at 28, he's probably your number four or number five cornerback this year. He's probably not impacting much. I know you have to plan for the future, but this window is so important. This 2023 season is so important. This is before the big money contracts start hitting and everything gets harder. I just think you need impact players this year, and I just don't see a a first-round cornerback doing that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Eric, I agree with you 100%. I, I think that corner should be a position that they do not address in the early rounds of the draft. I mean, if you think about Awuzie coming back healthy... It looked like Cam Taylor Britt is is going to be the real thing, I'm, I'm hoping. And I might be in the minority here, and I'd love to get your take on this, but I think it's worth bringing back Eli Apple. I, you know, he's got a, he has this reputation across the NFL as being a bust, and, you know, no one likes him. He's no one's favorite. But if you look at what he's done for this team over the last two years, you know, he's been fairly locked down on that side. I know he led up the touchdown to Cooper Cup, but I think most corners would have let that up. But without me belaboring the point, what, what do you think about Eli Apple? 
Well, I think, first and foremost, I think Sidney Jones is a, a younger Eli Apple. I think that was the idea there. And he's got a lot of potential. I mean, you look at it, it looks an awful lot like Eli Apple before we signed him, right? You know, a, a guy with a high draft pedigree who's bounced around and hasn't really caught on anywhere, hasn't had a lot of starting experience, but, you know, has all the traits you want. And so I, I think that was kind of the idea, was Sidney Jones is going to be your Eli Apple role. That being said, I would not be one bit surprised if they also brought back Eli Apple, and I'd be totally fine with it. You know, maybe it ends up being a camp battle. Maybe he ends up, you know, as just really solid depth. Maybe he beats out Sidney Jones. Who knows? It wouldn't surprise me at all. It doesn't seem like there's a huge market for him out there. So come June, July, after the draft, you know, when people are getting ready for camp, if he's still out on the street, it wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, and and as you referred to, he's going to come at a fairly low price tag. So you're getting, in my opinion, a starting caliber corner for not a big price tag. And as you said, if they do re-sign him, he would be now on the depth chart. But still, it's someone to consider bringing back. Let's let's move on to the later rounds of the draft. So I know what you're thinking in round one, maybe round two. What about as the draft presses on? How do you want to fill the back end of the roster? They, they absolutely need offensive line depth. I think that's a no-brainer. You can't consistently build an offensive line off of free agent signings. It's just not sustainable financially. So you've got to make sure you get some bodies in there and hope to hit on some to at least be good depth because, I mean, we've seen what happened with the depth on that offensive line last year. It just wasn't there. So you definitely need that. I, I would love to get one or two cornerbacks at some point in this draft. I think it's a deep draft for cornerback. I would love to get... You know, depending on what they do at 28, I'd love to get one or two tight ends. You know, I think there's some middle-round tight ends that could be really fun as developmental projects. Running backs the same way. If you don't get Bijan or Gibbs at 28, you know, I think Charbonnet is great. You know, he's maybe a third-round pick, probably closer to a second. You know, then there's a whole list of guys who are probably there in the fourth, fifth round who could be really interesting prospects at the position. Yeah, I think that's you know kind of my, my general idea. I, again, I think the, the team's in a good place to take best player available, and I think there's going to be a lot of value that falls to them in those middle rounds. Yeah, I hope so, and I, and I think you're right. I think without having pressing needs to fill starting positions, it opens up the draft really, really a lot for us. And even signing Smith as, as a tight end, I want to see them get a tight end early, but there's a couple of hot topics that have been going on in the offseason. I wanted to throw these at you real quick. There's three of them that I wanted to mention. So... What's your thoughts on Joe Mixon heading into the 2023 season? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, the the discourse gets a little nasty around him online. I think everyone's kind of recognized that. He's played better than people kind of give him credit for over the last two years. I know it hasn't always shown up on the stat lines, but he's been been a solid top 10, top 12 running back over the last couple of years. That being said, you can't pay any running back $13 million. I mean, I, I don't care if it's... Damian Tomlinson in his prime, you can't do that. You know, obviously, if they if, if he were to be back, I would hope it would be on some kind of restructured contract that gets that number down to five or six. But then, you know, you're you're asking a guy to take a pay cut. And last time they did that with a running back, it was Geo, and he told them to go screw themselves. So, you know, you could see something like that happening. You could see them cutting him outright if he doesn't agree to that. In which case. I think they suddenly do have a pressing need at running back in the draft, so I wouldn't expect it to happen before the draft. Yeah, I, I wouldn't hate to see him back on a more team-friendly deal. I think he's been a really integral part of the, the rebuild under Zach Taylor, and you know I think that 
That's why they put a C on his chest. Um, he's, he's very popular in the locker room. And he's only 26 years old, so it's not like he's over the hill. He's got a lot of miles on him, but I think he's still got a lot of good football. You just can't pay anyone that much money to play the position. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, one of the things I've, I've mentioned in previous episodes, you see a lot of teams around the league asking guys to restructure their deals, and I almost feel like it's, it's cheating the salary cap in a way. It's Like, the salary cap was intended, in my opinion... You know, these are your players. These are their price tags. Try to fit everyone in. But you see all these teams that are now up against the cap from, you know, over-signing people, and they're making all their star players take pay cuts, and it's kind of strange. Do you have any thoughts on that and, and the fact that the Bengals really haven't done that? Well, I think, and I, I don't remember if it was Katie or if it was Duke. I saw, and, and I'm sure I'm, I'm going to totally mangle it, but, you know, they said recently at the owners' meetings, they were talking about the way they structured their deals and how their biggest priority is that every year they're putting as much of their salary cap potential onto the field every single year. So I think what you see with a lot of other teams who, who do all of these renegotiations and kick money down the lines, you start seeing a lot of void years and then you start seeing a lot of dead cap money and dead cap money is money that's not on the field. And I think that's kind of where the Bengals have just drawn a line in the sand and said, that's not how we're going to do things. And now, does that get them in trouble sometimes? Does that mean they have to walk away from players that, that you maybe hoped they wouldn't? Sure. Does that you know impact long-term deals like the, the big ones that are coming up? It very well might. And that might have to evolve when those you know big numbers start hitting. But you know, I think as a philosophy, I admire it. I'd rather see that money on the field than sitting on an Excel spreadsheet somewhere just saying, oh, well, it's because you renegotiated so-and-so three years ago. Very, very well put. Let's move on to one of the biggest things that really angered me, and I kind of went off on the last episode, and I felt deservingly so. What's your take on the whole Jonah Williams requesting a trade, his position on the team, his performance? Just uh, the floor is yours, Jonah Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, look, I think... I don't think the team did anything wrong. I, you know, it's not their obligation to, to go and talk to any player before they potentially upgrade at the position. And I think especially if I'm sure you've read the athletic piece about how the Brown signing happened. I mean, it happened fast. Nobody in that building thought that there was a chance that Orlando Brown Jr. was going to be a Bengal. They, they didn't even watch film on and so it happened so quick. I, at no point do I think someone should have picked up the phone and called Jonah and, and asked his opinion or given him a heads up. I just, I don't think that's their obligation. And I think when they made that signing, the very, you know, they hung up the phone and the next thing they said was Jonah Williams is under contract, fully guaranteed, $12.4 million this year. He's our starting right tackle. I don't think they were probably surprised that he bristled at it. They're probably not entirely surprised that he asked for a trade. But we know this team, they're not going to be held hostage by trade demands. If they don't get what they think he's worth, and they probably think he's worth a second-round pick, maybe a third at worst, they're not going to trade him. And they're definitely not going to trade him until they know who's starting at right tackle on opening day. And right now, there's no one behind him. It's not going to be a Denigy. It's not going to be Cody Ford. Collins isn't going to be ready if he's even still on the team. So until that question's answered, he's not going anywhere. So maybe that changes on draft day and, you know, you draft Dewan Johnson or, or Kendall Wright and then you say, okay, maybe we can loosen up our trade demands on Jonah a little bit, maybe take a fourth or a fifth for him and clear the cap space. But until we know who's starting at right tackle, it's Jonah Williams. 
how do you approach the Joe Burrow contract? What kind of numbers? What kind of years? What kind of philosophy? Well, whatever Joe wants, Joe gets. <laughs> I know that's the that's kind of the, the easy answer, but it's you know in a way it's true. But he's the franchise. There's no two ways about it. He knows it. They know it. He's going to be the highest paid quarterback of all time until the next guy. I, I think you know it really seems to revolve around the question of do people think a do people think he's going to demand a, a Deshaun Watson fully guaranteed deal? I don't. It just doesn't seem like him. I think he's smart enough to know that, A, he's not going to get it from them, and B, it's not in his best interest or the team's best interest to do that. So I think that's off the table. And then it's, you know, does, is he going to get a, you know, a five-year deal that's kind of a little more traditional? Or is he going to want a, or would he accept, a, you know, a Pat Mahomes-type deal, a 10-year, maybe even an 11-year deal, keeping him stripes for his whole career, have the flexibility to to you know move some later cap hits around because the the deal is so long guarantee him you know even more money over you know five or six years you know i think that's speaking for myself that's what i prefer i think most bengals fans would prefer that you know obviously gives them the most security gives him the most security and gives the team the most flexibility you know to build around him for the long haul and it, i think when he when he talks about wanting to spend his whole career with Zach Taylor. I think that's really telling. You know, he didn't say, I want to spend my whole career with Jamar Chase, or I want to spend my whole career this, that, or the other. He said, I want to spend my whole career with Zach Taylor. And he's smart enough to know that if they're not winning games, Zach Taylor is going to be gone way before he is. And so he needs to give the team the flexibility to let Zach put a winning team on the field around him. Eric, how do people find you on social media? C. Sandinista on Twitter. Give me a follow, hit me up, send me a DM, I'll say hi. Absolute pleasure. I look forward to seeing more of your Twitter posts, and I definitely would love to have you back on the show again. I'd love to, Frank. Thanks so much for having me. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, I'm going to review the team's needs at every position group, and we're going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.